rightfully or wrongfully, I like to behave as if my kids were watching. They could see what was happening. And for me to, with the platform, not to stick up and do the right thing, it never sat well with me. Welcome to the Cold Steel Surgical Podcast with your hosts, Amir Farouk and Chad Ball. We've had the absolute privilege of chatting with some amazing Canadian as well as international guests over the past year. While the topics have been broad in range, whether clinical, social, or political, our aims for the podcast continue to remain the same. We hope to inspire discussion, creativity, scholarly research, and career development in all Canadian surgeons. We hope you enjoy our second season as we continue to highlight some incredible guests, deliver detailed masterclass sessions on a myriad of clinical topics, and introduce some fresh new features such as debate and companion formats. We hope you relish the podcast as much as we do. Paraphrase Shakespeare, some podcasts are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. The Solving Healthcare podcast, hosted by Dr. Quadjo Karamantang, falls into all three categories. Dr. K, as he is fondly known, is an intensivist based out of Ottawa, and his podcast, Solving Healthcare, has been a tremendous source of amazing and excellent information on COVID-19, medicine, exercise, nutrition, and so much more. As if he wasn't busy enough, Dr. K has now also created the Solving Wellness platform, an online website and community that is targeted at wellness for healthcare workers. It was an absolute pleasure on this episode to throw down with Dr. K. We talked about our shared Edmontonian heritage, his work with the Solving Healthcare podcast, and the Solving Wellness platform. We are super excited to announce that Cold Steel listeners can receive a free membership on the Solving Wellness platform if you go to the Solving Wellness website, www.drquadjo.ca slash solvingwellness and enter promo code COLDSTEEL, you can get a free membership with the Solving Wellness platform. There are only 10 free memberships, so hurry and join as soon as you can. Remaining listeners can still get a 15% discount on their membership fees at Solving Wellness if you use promo code COLDSTEEL15. And enjoy our conversation with Dr. Quajo Karamenteng from the Solving Healthcare Podcast. Dr. Karamenteng, thank you so much for joining us today on Cold Steel. It's it's a pleasure to have a true bona fide Canadian <laughs> podcasting icon uh, oh on us goodness. on with us on the show today. So so thank you so much for joining us. Amir, I'm I'm ja- I'm jazzed up for this, buddy. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. This is big. So listen, you know, we're, we're three Edmontonian boys on the call today. What? Yeah, it's I crazy. Didn't, I didn't realize we were representing E-Town, all of us? Yeah, that's right. Oh, stand up. <laughs> I know, it's, shock- up. it's shocking. It's shocking. There, 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 there are things that happen in, in E-Town besides, uh, besides <laughs> West Edmonton Mall. So what was, so I want to talk about that. Like, tell, tell us about growing up on the, on the mean streets of Edmonton. Where, where in the city did you grow up uh, and how did that shape you? You know, it's kind of funny when you mention it, Amir, it is kind of mean streety. Like I grew up in the West End, uh, about 10 blocks from the mall uh, in a community called Aldergrove. 
And now I look back, number one, I'll say my 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 youth, like the, the crew that I grew up with was it was an unbelievable childhood. You could go outside and you had about, you know, two, three kids your age that you were ready to play with. And so I was always outside playing hockey, basketball, soccer, football, all anything you could think of. We were we were in the mix, but it was like a good mix of kids like that. You know, some didn't make it out of the hood. Most of them didn't make it out of the hood, you know, and and I uh, got into some uh, into some, you know, not the ideal lifestyle, but some of us ended up, you know, making the most out of our education and and, and you know, ended up getting some pretty established careers. But, oh, I, I loved my childhood, honestly, growing up an Oilers fan. I'm old enough to remember all five cups. Well, maybe not the first couple, but um you know, just especially growing up playing hockey, it was it was pretty special. But uh, Alder Grove, you know, I would walk to the mall. I said my summers with those mall passes. I don't know if you remember that, Amir. You could just you get you get a, you get one of those passes, and you could go to the water park, the mini golf, and uh, and the fantasy uh, fantasy land. Uh, so I'd spend like my summers there. But I I love my childhood though. I loved it. Yeah, it, it it's awesome to listen to 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 you talk about Etown so fondly because I think Etown un, un unrightfully gets a bad rap, but I do want to ask you one one part of of growing up in Edmonton that I I don't know I, I wonder what your, your thoughts are about this like I grew up in Sherwood Park which uh, to those people who are not in Edmonton Sherwood or, or or from that region you you kind of know that Sherwood Park is a little bit uh, one of the suburbs essentially of Edmonton although I'm gonna get flack from short parkians for saying that but essentially it's like a big suburb of of edmonton and there were not a lot of non-white people when i grew up like i don't know what was your experience kind of growing up in edmonton at the time you did in terms of being a black uh black child and a, and then a black man yeah i mean i'll be honest with you it's uh you were aware that you were different at a very early age like growing up in that era i was called everything you could think of uh, as of the age of four, five, six, you know, uh, N word, you know, monkey having kids tell you go back to Africa. Um, and you know, adults not saying much when they hear their kids saying these things. So it was, you know, you did feel alienated at a very early age. You were aware that you were different and it, it was, it was tough. Like there was, there was this, uh, need to always, like you always knew that there was eyes on you everywhere you go. Like one of my, it sounds bad to say it, but one of my nicknames growing up was black people because whenever, wherever I'd go, I'd be like the only black person. So I'm representing black people, you know? So like uh, you, you literally always had to be conscious that there's eyes on you always. You you never go unnoticed and that affects the way you act. That's affect, you know, the, the way you carry yourself. And uh, so it, those those memories growing up were definitely not fond. I remember even being on the ice like those are if I had the most most of my recollections of racist encounters were for sure playing hockey. And uh, I remember at times just being like I just telling yourself just survive this game like people hacking you calling you names as they go by. And, you know, I wasn't a big kid uh, and, and you had to be you had to fend for yourself. And uh, it was it was tough. And I think it, it, it definitely shaped me to who I am now, though. Like, uh, I think 
as a result, you end up being a bit more resilient individual. You, you like, we kind of have that um, chip on the shoulder saying like, I'm not going to let these guys dictate my future or dictate who I am just because I look different. And I, I have no doubts that it produced more challenges in terms of career paths and so on. But once you get through, buddy, like you end up being strong, you end up being resilient. And I think if it wasn't for some of those experiences, I don't know if I'd be where I am today. Yeah, it's true. It's, you know, again, speaking humbly and as a middle-aged white guy, effectively, I certainly can't identify with, with what you guys would have experienced. But, you know, that's been my observation as well. One of my very best friends is a guy named Julius Ebenu, who we've had on the podcast. He's a neurosurgeon now. And he came, uh, him and his family, his two brothers, they came from Swaziland um, when they were in grade uh, nine and 10. And, uh, you know, I remember observing a lot of the same behaviors and honestly fighting uh, with or on, on his behalf every single day for a long period of time. And I remember his dad uh, was a, is a very, very clever guy. He said, there's a solution to this. You're going to educate the shit out of this. And, and, and move in some direction that, that you want to move in. And that's, I mean, that's what he did. He got a PhD at U of A, did a postdoc at Harvard, becomes a neurosurgeon, like, you know, super high-end guy, j- just like yourself. I, I'm curious from your point of view, um, you know, growing up in the environment you, you described, what are some of the, the things that maybe allowed folks like you and Julius to be so successful versus others uh, who maybe, uh, you know, as you said earlier, sort of uh, maybe are still on the mean streets of, of, of where they grew up or, or, or left, uh, left, uh, left there? Yeah, that's a good question, Chad. And it's just to put a finger on, like, I know my parents were big on education, like huge on it. And that even had the foresight, like I went to Holy Cross, like a French Catholic school. Uh, and right. Par- yeah, like my parents don't know, sh- like they don't speak French. But they had the kind of the insight to say, like, let's make this kid like make our the four of us or three of the four of us multilingual. Um, and so it was always a point of emphasis. And and I don't know, like my my parents really modeled, you know, they they, they modeled that, you know, you got to aim high. Like I got uh, I got two of my sisters are dentists. And, you know, my, my parents weren't like my, my dad was a manager of the farm safety program for the provincial government. And my my mom did, uh, did clerical work within the provincial government as well. But it was just clear that we got to aim high. And and, you know, my parents were strict. They, they you come back home with even mediocre marks and they would would say, like, this ain't good enough. We're constantly saying this ain't good enough. Remember. Look at the color of your skin, buddy. You know, like you're up against uh, Jason Smith and you have the same credentials. Who the hell do you think they're going to take? And so that that constant messages was was instilled in you. Like you, you need to do more. You need to keep banging at it. And I, I don't know, like I part of me wonders, too, like I, I was an asthmatic kid and had this amazing pediatrician, actually Conradis. I don't know if you know them. from. Yeah. Yeah. So is depending on which Conradi you're talking about, I, the grandpa or the the dad was my pediatrician. And this man was phenomenal. He walks in a room and you're like, all of a sudden, you know, you're okay. And, and to have that kind of 
what's the word that kind of impact on on a child and their family you, you, you that's forever imposed on you and i remember thinking i want to be able to do the same thing uh you know all these things i think helped in terms of pushing forward but i, I mean once again that, it was an uphill battle like once you're once you get a, a chance to you know um apply once you get a chance to get your foot in even like i've always had to unfortunately have those extra layers of steps to get to where I am. Um, but yeah, it's a good question, Chad. Well, there's so much we could talk to you about this topic and many others for sure about E-Town, but I really do want to talk to you a little bit about all the work that you've done with the podcast, uh, which is called Solving Healthcare. But, you know, before we get to the podcast, you had actually done a, some groundwork in building this re resource optimization network prior to actually even starting with the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what the resource optimization network is and, and was, and how did that sort of lead you to making the podcast? Yeah, thanks for the question, Amir. It was, I'll give the short version is, uh, as a trainee, I, I couldn't, you, I mean, all of us, you can't help to not notice the inefficiencies in healthcare and how they were imp impacting uh, patient care. So I'll give a quick example. I had a, a young trauma patient that was a quadriplegic that was heavily reliant on chest physio for, you know, to, to be able to get them off the ventilator. And we go into an era of cutbacks, physios cut, doesn't get physio on a long weekend, ends up plugging and coming back to the ICU. And I'm telling myself, I'm like, this, how are we so short-sighted? How can we not see all these inefficiencies and how it's impacting patient outcomes? Same, and the same token, we're admitting a 92-year-old from an old age home that is demented and doesn't even want to have aggressive measures, but because of poor documentation, inability to get a hold of family or whatnot, we've done given them a $15,000 treatment in the ICU. And once again, treatment that they never would have wanted. And so I'm like, we got to do better. So for me, ended up doing a master's in health admin, got a resource optimization network we produced by just gathering a team. And it was doctors, nurses, health economists, uh, pharmacists, um, uh, members from Telford School of Management, uh, you know, uh, which uh, they, they've been amazing for helping out with modeling and so forth. And to me, the reason I, I've been putting so much emphasis on, on cost is because when it comes to decision makers, they care about that bottom line. If you can show them that an intervention is going to reduce your spending and improve outcomes, it's like, how can you, how can you say no to that? So then we, we just hustled, put together a ton of projects. Uh, you know, at, at our peak, I'd say we're doing about 20 publications a year. And then around 2019, I was, I was looking at our, our body of work and I was telling myself, I'm like, you know, we're doing all this hustling and nothing's changing, like legit, nothing's changing. You know, like, and so then we, we spawned the podcast, Solving Healthcare, just to try and improve that knowledge translation piece. But yeah, there, so it, it kind of stemmed from the clinical side, seeing the inefficiencies, and then really building a team to try and, and, and come up with solutions on how we could be more cost effective. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you just said that because it sort of reaffirms maybe that this is a, a problem everywhere, the, the nothing's changing comment, which you know, can be so depressing and demoralizing to a group of people who are passionate and have worked tons of hours to try and make some sort of quality improvement in their, their work environment. So I'm, 
I'm curious, basically two questions based on that. The, the first is, no matter how altruistic we are, no matter how hard we work at this, no matter the small gains we may make, there's always the, the naysayers, the obstacles, the haters. So I, I'm curious in your experience with the Resource Optimization Network, what some of those challenges were. And then I'm, I'm also curious, in addition to defining them, beyond, for example, some of the stuff you talked about in your podcast, how, how should we be expected or what would you recommend in terms of trying to, to meet those challenges and deal with some of those obstacles and folks who, who are not all in like a lot of us try to be? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. And and I, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer, like, uh, but I'll tell you what, I, what we, my approach has been. So, you know, we talked about earlier some of the, you know, you, you get that body armor, the resilience, I think, by some of the, you know, obstacles you go you go through as a as a kid or even growing up and in, in within medicine and and often when you hear the you know this isn't this is who cares about this research or like we're not really interested yet some of us would be like okay maybe i should switch gears but you know developing that resilience and you having that vision you realize that you know not everybody is right even if they have that title you know it, this was something for for me, for example, was, was just, which was so obvious that this is a, such an important issue. I'm like, how can we we say no to to approaching these problems? Because there was tons of naysayers. Like I, I funded my own research. I I ended up, you know, hiring my own research assistant. By the way, which was the number one of my top moves in terms of in my career. Cynthia Wen, thank you. Paid twenty dollars an hour to try and ramp up my my productivity. Um, but there was, you know, the, the groups I was part of, no one wanted to fund this. And I, you know, I, I just, the vision was screaming to me. I'm like, this is too important. I, I, I think this is going to work. And so my, my answer to, to you, Chad was mostly, I, I just show the product. I just, I, instead of trying to, you know, maybe get more buy-in by the people that are decision makers and, and so forth. My, my approach was like, I'm just going to show you. I'm going to show you that this is legit. Even though you don't want to fund it, you're going to say it's not research looking at cost evaluations. I'm going to show you that it's going to make a difference. Like, I love it when people, honestly, I love it when people say like, you can't do this. It's actually kind of like, it's almost an addiction. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys watched the, the Michael J Jordan uh, documentary, uh, Last Dance, I think it was called. But along those lines where like, yeah, you washed up, MJ. You washed up, MJ. And be like, okay, all right, I'll show you. It's time to dance. Same thing with the research. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll put together a team. We'll, we'll, we'll start with some uh, low-impact journals, put in some publications in there. And then before you know it, you're producing papers in BMJ, we got one coming out in New England later. This should be any time now, actually. And and and, and honestly, it, it was because we just we just we just started to produce. We made that decision to just do it. You know what I mean? And then others will follow. And and before you know, it, when you have that that proof of concept by by publishing, by doing it, how can they not follow? And that's been my mantra and it's served me well. Yeah, that's, you know, that's great advice, right? You, you see that across all fields. I think we all do. Um, you know, people that feel slighted and use that as, as fuel. 
Um, and I, you know, a, a lot of the hyper performers like you that, that we're, that we're around, you know, day to day, and there's not that many of them, that is a really common feature and, and driver in their, in their professional and sometimes their personal lives as well. So good on you. Keep going. And what you're doing is amazing. Well, thanks very much, Chad. You know, I think that's a good segue to actually talking specifically about the podcast. And, you know, it's been fun in preparing to talk to you to go back and listen to a bunch of like the, the very beginning the first couple of episodes. And like, you know, like the clarity of vision was there right from from the beginning. And one of the things like that I that I loved, like right from the get go, you're like, listen, this podcast, it's not going to be something where and you, you do this like great nasal kind of voice like, oh, what was the p-value? Was that significant or not? I was like, this this, this guy knows exactly what turns people off. Um, like, why do you think that it's been so hard for like health professionals, physicians, scientists to actually make that transition to being able to talk to a general public and actually make bridge from science oh, to to actually uh, talking to a general public? Oh, sorry. It just brought me back. I forgot. I almost forgot about that uh, that clip, which, uh, yeah. All right. Let's talk about that P-value <laughs> and the number needed to treat amongst the, yeah. No, I, I think, honestly, it's because we don't have that much diversity in, in who we bring into medicine. We're, we, it's very type A. We're, we're very sheep-like. We follow the leader. We don't divert, uh, divert from the norm. And if you take a step back and ask yourself, what's going to produce more effective knowledge translation? It's 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 not just going to be producing papers and, and talking amongst the already converted or, uh, you know, amongst our colleagues, you know, like, I, I, I think, I'm not sure where you, how you, you breed this in, in amongst uh, clinicians, but we need to be thinking more outside the box on a routine basis. And I don't know if it's just not well received. Actually, I know it's not well received. That's part of the problem. If you're not, if you're approaching a problem in a different way, uh, it's just not widely ex- accepted, you know. And like I, uh, I'm gonna get a bit of slack for this, but I I I look at the world of critical care. Uh, when we look at our research, we we have not moved the needle in years in in terms of like our publication outputs. Yeah, you could add steroids and we improve mortality by like 2%. Then the next study is showing it's a negative outcome. Like all these kind of approaches that are not, uh, not moving the needle at all. And, and then you got to ask yourself, why are we approaching it the same way? Maybe we got to be more creative. Maybe we got to have a more personal personalized approach to our studies. Maybe we got to ask the question, steroids seems to help for some people, Let's find out who that is. Maybe it's the older people. Maybe it's people that have, you know, some liver impairment. Maybe it's somebody that has specific type of infection like pneumonia or or urosepsis. Let's let's try and think outside the box so that we can actually impact lives. And so, you know, I'm totally going off on a tangent, but the, the point of what I'm getting at is we need to encourage thinking outside the box. And part of that, too, for me, was when it comes to communicating uh, some of the large efforts within healthcare, it, it has to tailor to a, a more generalizable audience. Like, it can't just be to, to people that are, uh, you know, getting into the weeds. And because uh, I'll tell you, one thing that I've learned, too, is the more people you invite in the discussion, the more perspectives, the more, more diversity in, in opinions and ideas, better solutions. 
like I can't tell you how many times like a like when you have those like uh like patient representatives on quality meetings or what have you and they'll be like they'll they'll come and be like yo you ever think about doing this you ever think about just putting that uh exit uh area near uh just just left to the desk and then everyone be like whoa man that was fresh and then the person just drops the microphone just walks out of there like like he's balling but um it's it's yeah. so important it's so important it's, to have that wide perspective. It's true, eh? Like, I, I'm sure you're very familiar with Scott Page's work, the, the diversity equation and, and sort of what, what that means. And it's it's fascinating to listen to him talk about, you know, being called into everywhere from Mercedes-Benz to, you know, much less famous commercial entities and talk about diversity and why it's important and, and all the points that you raise in terms of productivity, thinking inside or outside the box, depending which term you want moving forward, efficiencies, relevance. And he, it's it's just funny. He says, he, you know, he's often met with sort of mouth open, um, bewildering looks by folks who just don't under, seem to understand that. Oh, 100%. I, have you guys re- read the book by Adam Grant, Think Again? Yes. This, oh, my God. Was that, it, Tell me that was. I just finished it. That's why I'm like, it's fresh on mine. But tell me that wasn't uh, incredible. Like, just, just that that lens of how to expand your thinking uh, and just giving people that permission to uh, question the status quo and how to approach these things. I, I don't know. I it's, it's Sometimes you read a book. I, I listen to books mostly now, but you're just like, I need to listen to that one again. I know I'm going to go back to that one because there's some gems in there. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, that message in that book is not per se new, but the, the delivery of it is is comprehensive and it's it's great. And it's, you know, I often think when I listen to that topic and think about it, it's interesting to me sort of who that, um, like people around us where that is sort of innate, that's an innate understanding and they, they just kind of intuitively get it versus the majority of us, I think, that have to work on that. Um, you know, in, in, intentionally going forward to, to, to improve for sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. The, um, I just, I just think the, as you mentioned that the way he packaged that, the way he presented it, the examples he gives was just so relatable and just inspiring too, to, to kind of, to kind of just, you know, um, I don't know. It just makes you want to rethink. It makes you want to see how we could improve on so many of our, you know, processes and, and so forth. Cause I don't know, it, it was, it was just so inviting. I, I just, I can't, I can't speak about that book enough. And actually he, he, he showed up on uh, the most ep- uh, latest episode of knowledge project with uh, Shane Parrish. And it's a nice little summary. I don't know if you listen to that podcast, but it'll, it'll change your mind grapes. It's, it's amazing. Okay. So, so sure. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's nice to, to get the word out there, but like, I, I, I'm particularly impressed by how you navigate these topics because, and, and we'll get into this a little bit because obviously COVID-19 totally took your, your podcast in a different direction and, and launched it. But when you're trying to break down a complex topic, like, you, you know, any of the topics that you've, you've had on the podcast, you, there is this dance that you have to do between 
getting into the weeds enough that people actually understand some of the nuances. I think one of the big problems with like science journalism or medical journalism is that journalists tend to sensationalize things, kind of weave a story when perhaps there isn't one or uh, gloss over the details. But you, you seem to do a very good job of being able to stay nuanced while at the same time making sure it's general enough. No, I appreciate that, uh, Amir, uh, question because it, it comes down to one of my um, one of my main principles of, of when it comes to commute, well, not only communication, but life is uh, like Pareto's principle, like 80-20 rule. Uh, for those that don't know, it's kind of like if you're a business owner, you look at, you know, your your revenue stream and, and what rule comes through almost always is that 80% uh, of your revenue comes through 20% of your um, clients. So the, the whole argument is really focused on that 20%. And Pareto's principles everywhere when it comes to your happiness, when it comes to traffic, when it comes to your workouts, like what gives you the biggest bang for your buck. And so with every problem, I almost approach it that way when, it, you know, even when I think of like COVID response, like I'm out in Ontario. And one of the things that was screaming to me, which was really unfortunate, was that more than 80 percent of, of COVID cases were coming from a small area like within Toronto, the GTA, uh, so Peel, uh, Scarborough, that that area. And to me, it was like, we need to focus resources where the fire is. Look at that 80-20 in terms of what's really driving cases in in Ontario. And, and, and same thing when it comes to on the show, trying to communicate. It's like, what is the message that you really want people to go home with? What is the, the thing that is going to make it click or stick, I should say? And so that's why, you know, you could get caught up in the weeds in terms of a topic that doesn't give you that much value, but ask yourself, what's going to make that message uh, like close to their heart? What's going to make them leave the show and be like, man, I'll, I'll, I won't forget that, that topic. I won't forget that message. And so that's kind of the general principle I use when it, when it comes to, you know, this overall strategy or overall focus when we when we do our shows. But I mean, I, I'll tell you, when when it comes to Pareto's principle or the 80-20 rule, I apply it to everything, like how I round, how I learn, uh, when I teach, let's, let's focus on the biggest bang for your buck. Uh, and it seems to work well. I mean, part of it, I think, is the, the guests that you bring on. You, you've, you, the guests that you brought on have become even if they weren't stars in there before, they've gone on to become real stars. And I think in no small part due to being on the podcast, certainly like Heidi Torek, for example, I had not heard of her name prior to her being on your podcast. And I listen to her religiously now. I follow her stuff on Twitter all the time because her insights are just dynamite. Uh, like all of them, like Suman Chakrabarty, uh, like all the, a bunch of the guests that you have brought on the podcast ha have been just dynamite and they they kind of understand how to do this dance too um like how do you find such good guests because uh, that's that's a hard thing to do on a podcast for sure oh, oh man i mean i was getting chills when you were talking about heidi because every i'm like every time she talks she drops like a knowledge bomb that drops kick you in the chest like every time and then i'm like what you're saying makes so much sense so i heard her briefly on on cbc radio before and and i was just listening to her talk about communication about, hey, simple message, look at Bonnie Henry, look how she's uh, uh, um, communicating and being um, consistent and, 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 and simple and keeping it real. 
And I'm like, man, you like what you're saying makes so much sense. And so this is what you, you, you try and find when somebody that is so spectacular like that, that is such a great communicator, you, you hear them speak, you got to reach out. So to me, it's, it's a, one of those things that, you know, you, you hear them, you hear what their overall message is. You, you hear how they articulate like Monica Gandhi. When we honestly, when I reached out to her the first time, she might've had 900 Twitter followers. Look at this. Look at her now, yeah, man. Yeah. You can't even She's touch loaded. Yeah. But like, once again, what a great communicator, keeping it simple, focusing on the, the major, uh, the major uh, topics and a uh, simple message. I don't know. Like to me, that's kind of the theme. Like you, I guess you, you, you know, we've had some like dry shows too, where, you know, you, you like the topic matter, but then you're like, yeah, man, this, this cat's boring as hell. You know, <laughs> it's just like, uh, you know, you try and pick them up and be like talking about something that maybe makes them giggle or something. And they're like, no, it, it ain't biting. But this is the thing. I, I always say swing, man. Always con- consistently swing and just learn. Like, oh, what's the expression? It's uh, fail fast. You know, like I, I've learned, for example, you know, and I think that you guys appreciate this with your show too. The people they don't care who the guest is. You could have the biggest name guest in the world. You could have, I mean, say, you know, there's exceptions to that. You have Barack Obama on this bad boy, the whole the whole country's listened to that. But it's more about the flow. It's more about the communication. It's more about the connection. Like right now, I'm telling you, people are loving this cast so far. Let's Let's get real. People well, are loving this one, right? Yeah, we're loving it for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah by, by the way, Barack, if you're listening, your open open invitation to Cold Steel and Solid Health Care anytime. Anytime, <laughs> we'll make, anytime. We'll make time for you, maybe. <laughs> just not on weekends. That's right. Kidding. Anytime, anytime, buddy. Anytime. Okay. Yeah, well, he's, he, he, he's just on the other line now, guys. I'll be back in a sec. <laughs> so was it hard to get into COVID? How much did you think about that when, when pivoting talk about that? Because a lot of the episodes have become about COVID, and I think rightfully so, because that is the... There's nothing else to really talk about over, you know, the last year and a half. But that must have been kind of nerve wracking to kind of insert yourself into that discussion. So nerve wracking, buddy. I I, I got to tell you, the, the motivation for it was a few fold. One, I thought there was a lot of fear being thrown into the conversation, like a lot of fear based uh, approaches, which is counter and I think counterproductive when it comes to public health and every, on all the principles that we've always learned about. And so that was one motivator. The second motivator was, which was the part I was most anxious about. I, I, in the first way we needed to do what we had to do in terms of do a severe lockdown. We didn't know anything about this virus. Like we needed to gain information, but my, you know, like anything else, you always, there's there's got to be a, a, a level of balance. And when you start to see some of the negative sequelae by our restrictions, the delayed cancer diagnosis, the child abuse, domestic abuse, um, late presentations in, in, in terms of uh, people coming into hospital, once again, because of that fear messaging, I'm like, we got to increase the awareness of these problems, man. Like, we got to do something about it, you know, like it's like all of us in, in healthcare, like more, some of us more than others, you have to have that kind of a holistic approach and say like, if we're going to 
you know, diuresis patient? How's it going to affect their, affect their kidney status? How's it going to affect their heart? And so we weren't having that discussion and it was, it wasn't safe to have that discussion. And I was seeing directly the consequences of us not having those discussions. You know, when I see that MI that's probably presented two days ago, uh, or like symptoms had, uh, symptom onset was two days ago and they're coming in too late and they're dying from their heart attack because they were too afraid to come into hospital. That's a problem. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's part of also like, you know, probably growing up as, uh, this might seem out of left field, but growing up racialized in a, in, in a city like Edmonton, you, you, you stick up for people that can't stick up from themselves. You, you do the right thing because you know how it feels. And so for me, you know, when I was, uh, we interviewed Michelle Ward and she's telling me about the uh, child abuse that was going on during the restrictions and during ch uh, school closures. I'm like, when you hear this, you can't unhear it. You can't. And for us, uh, for me, it, it, you know, it's just not within my values to just be like, okay, I, I guess this is the way it is. I guess we uh, maybe we should just like do nothing about it. No, nah, man, it's time to lead when when you know people are in trouble, especially kids. Like I, I mean, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician, but you know, I I just got a real soft spot for for the kids. And so when I, you know, like my latest, um, my latest like advocacy stuff has been around the school closures issues in in Ontario. But um, honestly, it's hard to just sit back when you know negative things are happening uh especially to the kids so um i know that was a long-winded answer to that question but uh it just comes down to having, like pivoting towards that because it was just a lot of injustices in my mind that was happening but it's it's not easy to do what you did like i know you're saying yes it's it's hard it's it's hard to sit back but i'd argue that it, it is not easy to put your neck out there or, or stick your neck out there on a topic like this, you'll, you'll get flack from other physicians. People will be like, well, how in the world can you say that we shouldn't close schools? Do you not care? Do you not care about people and the lives of people? Do you want COVID to run rampant? That is not an easy topic. And you don't want to be in that camp of anti-vaxxers. It, it's almost become so politicized now that you, you end up being in one of these camps, right? And so mm -hmm. trying to strike a balance between those two camps is like incredibly difficult um so yeah. yeah i don't know how you did that honestly you honestly amir one of the things that, there's a couple things that come to mind i always kind of rightfully or wrongfully i like to behave as if my kids were watching they could see what was happening and for me to with the platform not to stick up and do the right thing it never sat well with me and um the other thing that i i think this this part i i find I'm not perfect at this, but I, I try and be an example of not caring, not following the script, not avoiding something because I might fall into a category. Like I, I want to show that, you know, our behavior is above that. I am not anti-vax because I'm talking about school closures. I'm not, you know, anti what, uh, whatever, because I'm worried that lockdowns impacting the well, others' well-being. Like you, you, you could try and label me, but I'm above a label. We're not, I'm not a label. You know, I'm not in a, a, uh, a specific box. I'm going to be nuanced because that's what's necessary to, to, to make these choices. And I, I'm a, I feel like if enough of us 
play that kind of a act like a leader in that way, others will follow because come on, like to put people in such dichotomous boxes when like how many things when it comes to health policy, uh, like could fall that clearly into one, one label, you know what I'm saying? So I, I just, uh, it's hard. Like I, if I told you some of the stuff I've gotten, like, uh, like I've had people come up to me and say, you're, I'm dangerous. And you know, your, your positive messaging, positive messaging is dangerous. Uh, you, people are going to die as a result of what you're saying. Um, I mean, luckily it hasn't been too much in my face, but then the, I mean, Twitter fear, Twitter world, man, holy cow, <laughs> it's malicious. It's malicious. Luckily, uh, you know, I've been able to kind of, you know, I just silence, I just mute that stuff. Uh, I don't engage at all, um, but uh, it it's been relentless for the last year. Um, but mostly positive, though. I would be. I don't want to. I don't want to give a a, a false uh, picture of how this has gone. Like, I the messages I get on a, almost a daily basis now has been so moving. You know, in terms of people appreciating the advocacy and the positive messaging and the balanced approach, uh, it's it's been fueled to keep going for sure. You're obviously like a still a practicing critical care physician, right? So, and I think it it's kind of goes against the DNA of a lot of physicians to actually stick their neck out on any kind of topic. One, because I think on some level, we all get worried a little bit about being seen as biased or unprofessional, you know, in whatever mm-hmm. that, whatever that means. And then the second thing is, you know, you kind of worry about you know, how this will be perceived by other people in your department, you know, your department head and and how that all plays out. Like, how has that kind of played out even like locally in the place that you work, even in terms of, I'm, I'm sure, you know, this has taken a lot of your time as well. How have you kind of managed that whole piece of your professional life uh, with this quote unquote side hustle, although it's kind of ridiculous to call this a side hustle? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's been, I mean, for most part, people have been really supportive. Like, uh, I've only had one or two complaints, formal complaints, uh, you know, um, and, but my, whether it's department, hospitals, they've been quite supportive and knowing that overall, you know, I'm still, the message is quite similar. Listen to public health, uh, you know, we're all ultimately after the same goal as getting through this pandemic. And so I think they see that and, you know, there's a way of framing things, especially when you're doing uh, mainstream media saying, you know, this is just my opinion, but I mean, they, I, I don't know if like I, I start as department head from my department, uh, as of July 1st. So despite all this, you know, the hospital still, still had faith in, in, uh, putting me in a leadership position. So, you know, I, I think, I think people just see, you know, the, the intention, which is, is to get through this to, and, and, you know, the one thing I will say too, Amir, when it comes to COVID and COVID response, and I mentioned how this fear approach is, in my opinion, is, is a, a negative one. It, it was, t- this was a time for our leaders to be leaders. You know, like I, I was saying, you, you were in a time, say if you're in a time of war, imagine some of these, you know, you know, Roosevelt or whoever, who, whomever was just like, man, you guys need to do better. We're not going to get through this. Like we're, we're, we're struggling as opposed to like, you know what, this is the steps we need to do collectively to get through this. And we're going to get through this. Please get vaccinated. 
please listen to public health. You know, we could get through this together if, as long as we were unified in this goal. Man, like, why not? Why not have that twist? And so I think when, you know, when you see someone like myself going on the media, whether it's through the podcast or, or mainstream saying we could get through this, this is what what is what we need to get through this. But, you know, we'll survive this. We'll get through this on the other side. It just it resonated with people. And it's because that's what leaders do. You, you don't I don't know when this fear tactics were started to become a more mainstream uh, approach to things. But, you know, I, I think I guess the short version of what I'm saying is that. Or the long version, I guess, now is that people have been supportive. And I think it's because the general message of of, of trying to get through it and having that positive slant on things, it, it gets to people. Yeah, it's been it's been very disappointing in some ways, like to have a worldwide crisis and for all of us to go through it. And, and actually, in some ways, we're more divided uh, than ever. You know, everything has become so much more politicized. And 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 certainly, you know, our, our leadership has has in many, many scenarios kind of abdicated their their ability to lead. It's it's been really very disappointing from that perspective. You know, like if this were the alien, if the aliens were invading, you know, we could have maybe mounted a response, but somehow like the fact, and maybe it's just the nature of the disease, like we all, you know, we're having to be at home and uh, and and isolate. And so that's why, but it's, it's been really, really disappointing. That's an interesting point you make about the nature of the disease. I never really thought of it that way before. Because, um, yeah, we can't all be together. And usually if you're maybe if we were spending more time together, we would, uh you know, things would be would uh, present itself differently. But yeah, it's an interesting uh, perspective. But I, I still think, you know, because we still got our work to do, you know, uh, we're on the better side of it, in my opinion, but it's still important to hopefully le for leaders to show true leadership qualities during this time. I do want to highlight some another initiative of the I don't know how many 10,000 things you're doing, but uh, another initiative that you've recently started that's just phenomenal, uh, which is the Solving Wellness platform that you've built. Can you talk a little bit to us about Solving Wellness and, and what is going on with that? Yeah, thanks, Amir, for for, totally, for acknowledging the wellness initiative because I think it means a lot to, to us, especially because we saw how much burnout was happening pre-pandemic. And now during the pandemic, when we're seeing people leaving the profession, um, like we just felt compelled to do something about it. So. We, we, we applied for a grant and was awarded through Montfort uh, to, to help clinicians with, with burnout. So we have online uh, uh, live and, and, and recorded fitness classes, yoga, nutrition advice, uh, cooking classes, uh, guided meditations. We have a cognitive behavioral therapist that helps with uh, mindset and, and stress management. Like we wanted to do our part to try and mitigate the burnout risk um, amongst clinicians. Because for us to take care of our, our our patients, we have to be we have to be on point, man. Like we got to be ready to go. And the biggest worry I had is that as we are going to see more and more, you know, the baby boomers are coming of age where they're going to be, you know, saturating the, the healthcare system. We need all hands on deck. And so yeah, we produce this platform. And uh, it, it's been so amazing so far. We've got about 125 members so far. It's been about a month. 
and the the feedback has been great. We, the instructors have been great. We've had people donate memberships. Um, and Amir, if it's okay with you guys, like Cold Steel Posse, like I, I'm not sure when this busts out, but if they use a promo code code Cold Steel, they'll be, the first ten people will get a free membership for reals. And because uh, I I think we're we're just trying to spread the word, trying try engage as many healthcare providers as possible. Um, and if they use a promo code cold steel 15, they'll, they'll get 15% off, uh, sign up fees. And, uh, cause yeah, like we, we, what we say on the show, we try and change that boogie. Yo, we're trying to change the boogie, you know, within healthcare. <laughs> That's fantastic. So what, what is actually on the platform? Yeah. So you, literally you will, you will lo- log in and, and whether it's a live or recorded version, you're like, you know what, uh, I'm in a community of like-minded or not like-minded, but like uh, people that have a shared experience of taking care of people in the healthcare system. And you have workouts that you, you'll have uh, access to, yoga classes, guided meditation. You wanted a cooking class on, uh, you know, uh, that's provided. You got, you have recipes, you have a community too that you could chat with. Like one of the things uh, I dropped in just yesterday was, Adam Grant's book. I was like, "Hey guys, this is a great book on how to uh, approach thinking and just have that dialogue within our community." It's been it's been so rewarding, honestly. Um, and you know, I, I just think once again, if we could amplify by giving, making sure our clinicians are are taking care of themselves, like we get to we we will be that much better at the bedside. And I just hope that. You know, and, and the other thing, too, is some of the things that we learn within there, like uh, we do a lot of discussions on, you know, uh, different approaches to nutrition, like, say, for intermittent fasting, a lot of healthcare providers are interested in that. Here's some resources to say how you do it, what the benefits are. And if you you feel like that it's a win, you could provide that for your patients, too, and just amplify the message that way. So it's just been this incredible experience having that community feel to it. And, uh, you know, uh I'm a, I'm a, Amir, I'm a doer. Like this is an idea that came relatively quick, but we saw the need during the pandemic and we're like, screw this. We're going to start this right now. And uh, thanks to my team, uh, Julia, Sarah, Sarah Dickinson, you guys have been great in getting this bad boy up and running. Yeah, it's, that's phenomenal. I mean, one of the interesting things is that, um, you know, you, I think one person could, a, a person could reasonably ask why specifically develop a platform for wellness for clinicians or for for healthcare workers but you know like our challenges are kind of unique there there is a big role for having someone who understands what those challenges are from our perspective because you know like i'll, I'll give you an example we had jane lemaire who is an internist in calgary and she's been uh you know a huge person with regards to wellness and burnout uh, in calgary and she did this study where they, they looked at what people ate during their day and, and their cognition and all that kind of stuff. And it was it was terrible what, yes. what clinicians were eating. What are the specific challenges or, or things that healthcare providers face um, in terms of burnout that you, you feel like that solving wellness can uniquely kind of challenge and target? I love this question because it, it, there's so many. So one of the topics, for example, I forgot to mention is sleep. So we did a, 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 a live w- webinar 
for people to ask questions that do shift work, for example, what you eat and same thing along those lines, what do you eat during shift work, especially if you're going to try fasting, there's a moral distress like we have all of us, Chad and Amir, we've all had that, that those situations where we've had to take care of patients. Um, and it's been a challenge, uh, you know, like it's, it's been that's it's been a struggle to see them go through what they've gone through, especially during COVID. Like I, for me, for example, one of the most distressing things in the first wave was seeing people die by themselves. People saying goodbye to their loved ones via via FaceTime, like that was horrific. And so that's a shared experience as a healthcare provider. You know what I'm saying? Of like uh, whether it is what you eat, whether it is how you sleep, whether it is that moral distress. Or, or, or just that uh, any of those experiences is, 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 that, uh, is that commonality. And so, yeah, there's some unique sides for us healthcare providers, especially I think COVID's really brought us together and put a lens on some of these issues. But um, definitely, yeah, we have a, a, that, that shared experience for reals. We try and end the podcast, as you know, with a, a pretty sort of standing question, which is that if if you could go back, uh, maybe just after the mean streets of Edmonton, but you know when you when you were a, a, a resident or a, or a critical care fellow trainee, and maybe even as a as an early attending, what, what kind of advice would you would you love to have been given by yourself? You know, back in those two time points. Honestly, there's about 15 things I could think of that I would go back to tell my younger self. But one of the, I think, the main thing I would say is stay authentic stay your true self. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of us lose ourselves during our training period, we try and please, you know, put on our, uh, our hat where it's going to please the attending, please our colleagues. And we we lose ourselves. And I think that adds to the kind of the burnout and the stress of the job. But if you could come in wearing that hat of like, I'm just gonna be me. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be myself and, and naturally i'll land in a place where i'm going to be appreciated loved um i think that's something i would i I would have loved to have uh implemented in my career much earlier than i did because yeah i mean now like the way i'm speaking to you guys is the way i speak at rounds you know what i mean i'll talk about practicing drop kicks and side kicks or interpretive dancing like well i'll make us all giggle but you know (laughs) Back in the day, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do that. But, you know, I think if I were to go back, it would be to to stay true to yourself. You've been listening to Cold Steel, the official podcast of the Canadian Journal of Surgery. If you've liked what you've been listening to, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback, so feel free to email us at podcast.cjs at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter at CanJSurge. Thanks again.